Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow listeners, and welcome to episode 25 of Can I Pick Your Brain? Today, I'm really excited to be picking the brain of Scott Jordan. Scott is an ex-lawyer who escaped the corporate passionless grind to become a tech entrepreneur and is now the CEO and founder of a $50 million pocket empire, Scotty Vest a revolutionary clothing company that infuses groundbreaking designs with specially engineered pockets. Scott and his company have been featured on Shark Tank, Forbes, Inc., Wired, The New York Times, among many others. Scott is also the author of a top rated called Pocket Man. And of course, he loves his poodles. Scott, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Thank you so much, Daniel. I've been looking forward to it. Me too. I just want to mention to the audience that I follow you on Snapchat, and you seem to have a crazy obsession with your poodles. <laughs> yeah, yes, I, we have four standard poodles, and they're awesome. And uh, we don't have children, and they are our children. And it makes me a little, a little unusual to have four standard poodles. Is it? It's, I'm going to get a bit personal, and you could say, you know, uh, Daniel, I'm not answering that question. But do you not have children out of choice? Uh, y- yes. Yes. Okay. And it's you know it's actually that's kind of an interesting story. If, you know we can go into it a little bit if you want. Uh, Let's go there. Um, you know we're I was married two years and I thought you know that's what you do. You get married, you have children. That's why you get married. And I turned to my mm-hmm. wife and I said we got this marriage thing down. Although we hadn't, I thought I had. I learned. <laughs> yeah, I learned a lot since then. And uh, and I said you know we got this marriage thing down. Let's start having kids. And she turns to me and says I'm not sure I want to have kids. Oh, wow. And I thought, oh my God, I'm I'm in love with you. I, you know, and and now I'm gonna have to get a divorce just to have children. That, yeah, <laughs> that that's crazy. And so, you know, we talked it through, and I said, why didn't you tell me? And she said, you never really asked. I I, I assume that's why you get married. Make a, oh, wow. make a long story short, you know, after uh, you know a, a period of getting used to this thought of not having children, we've been married 20 years. You know, I for me it was the right decision. I could not have built this business in the fashion I had if I had children. I mean, and I know that people say you can have it all and some people can, but I, I, in my case, I, I couldn't have given the attention, the time, the love to the business if I had a child or more. Now, I'm going to ask you a, a, a tough question now. If you were to go back and your wife and you were able to have children, in other words, if your wife said yes, knowing that you wouldn't have the success that you have today, would you go and have children? At that point, at that at that moment, uh, you, so you're asking, you. do I regret the decision? I mean, no. So no, I, I don't. Have there been periods of my time, uh, my marriage that I I did? Absolutely. I mean, it was a grieving process. It was, you know. Uh, it was difficult. I mean, but ultimately, I, I believe that it was on hold the right decision for me. But I, th- I would caution all entrepreneurs to, to take this into account. I mean, it takes a toll on your family. Right. Starting a business requires a level of dedication, perseverance, and time that if you are not prepared for that, you know, get prepared or don't do it. Right. Or get poodles. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
before before we get into your famous Shark Tank experience, which I'm sure a lot of listeners want to want to get into, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Take us back to Little Scott. You know, I grew up in uh, Philadelphia and moved around a little bit from uh, Philadelphia to Cincinnati, and uh, my went into a family business uh, shortly after, right after college. Uh, I, I was an entrepreneur at the Ohio State University, studying entrepreneurship. Started a business then, and and my father kind of tricked me into going into business with him. And I say trick, <laughs> I, I say trick because you know he was looking for someone to you know provide a, a retirement life for him, and uh, he owned a cemetery, and not a lot of twenty-one-year-olds want to get into the cemetery. And be, become you, you were you were a cemetery salesman. Yes, I was. I was knocking doors cold calling people, asking if they have made their final arrangements. And uh, if they haven't, I, I, I help them you know, wow. buy their cemetery lots in advance. Uh, Talk about being in a dying industry. Yeah, I've heard that <laughs> one. Yeah, <laughs> couldn't help myself. <laughs> so, I, you know, it was I, I was not very good at it, you know, because I, I didn't have the passion for it. And it took me a long time to recognize that before, if you are not passionate about what you want to do, then you're probably not going to be happy. And if you're not happy and passionate, you're not going to be good. So my father sold sold the business uh, out from beneath me after after a little while. I ha- happened to do really well in, in management uh, there. And I was, you know, confused as to what to do. And like so many people, I turned to law school as uh, while I was figuring it all out. Unfortunately, I did exceptionally well at law school. I went to the Case, West, Case Western University in Cleveland and graduated sixth in my class. And, uh, and as a result, I was handed what I refer to as the golden handcuffs. I was got a, a great job offer from a very major law firm in Chicago. And, and I hated it. The DLA it. Piper? Yeah, DLA Piper. And uh, the thousands of lawyers now at the time, there was five or 600, I forgot. And, 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 and from the moment I got there, I was looking for ways to uh, escape from the law, if you will, and get in it. But once you are a lawyer, people perceive you as a lawyer. And it, it, <laughs> it, it, it's very difficult, even to this day in business. I, I've been involved in lawsuits because, you know, people just perceive you as, as I don't know, you're going to exercise magical legal powers. And, 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 and although it has helped me in business to understand legal issues, on whole, I'd rather have those 10 years that I dedicated, you know, seven years at a law firm and, you know, and three years in law school or thereabout. I, I, I'd rather have those 10 years back and gotten into business right away. That's a very good point you just made. And I, I think it's quite important. People who are listening to this, who are thinking about going to business school, you know, to learn economics or, or, or law school to learn business law, you're saying, don't waste your time start a business you'll gain a lot more from the you know years that you spend you know in the hard knocks of business life than you are in school absolutely in both cases yes I, I if you're going to do one or the other and your ultimate goal is to be in business do not go to law school you know because you graduate as a lawyer and uh and and that's how people perceive you if you're looking for an education and 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 to buy some time before you can figure out what you want to do you know i i would encourage either you know i, I think yeah right. i loved law school i was I, I enjoyed it quite a bit i was passionate about it. i did well at it but practicing law is nothing like you know law school right so basically you became a lawyer then you decided to leave the comfort of a successful career to follow your passion. I mean, can you take us back to the day that you said, I quit? I mean, what were you feeling? You know, I, I, I wish it was that simple. You know, it was a long and winding path of uh, it being in one law firm 
and recognizing that I was miserable. The day that I really think I came up with that is when I found myself playing solitaire in my office and having to come up with eight billable hours to account for when I know I played, <laughs> I played three hours of solitaire. And I said, I, I cannot justify this behavior and lie, even though, you know, every billable lawyer, you know, uh, in my opinion, probably on occasion, it's just not possible to, to not do it, to, to exaggerates their hours. And that just right. started bothering me. So it was on, on that day that I decided to get out, in which case I started a job search that, um, and I turned to my partnership at the at the law firm, and they made some introductions for me. But I basically put a nail in my coffin of partnership track. Once you tell someone you don't want to to pursue it, you know you have no future. So I, they made a few introductions. I didn't get a job, you know, and now I'm stuck in this firm where everyone knows I'm. I'm uh, I'm not happy. Oh, well. And then yeah. I, I got a call from a recruiter to go to another law firm. So, <laughs> so I went to a, it. Yeah, exactly. And it was it was worse. It was it was a worse law. It was an equally large behemoth law firm in Chicago. And 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 sure enough, everyone in my in my prior law firm told everyone in my new law firm I was unhappy there. And, you know, oh, man. you know, so uh, then I, I, I got a job at a uh, public co- company as their associate general counsel. And uh, I thought, all right, well, now I got a cushy associate general counsel's position. I don't have to account for my hours. You know, I'm in-house. And sure enough, on the second day, my the general counsel comes in and says, I need you to track your hours. <laughs> so, oh, man. It was, it was, oh, man. So I'm like, I'm hating what life. You, can, I, can I ask, yeah. Scott, what were, you, what were you earning at that point? Well, I, I came out of law, sc- uh, law school and I earned $68,000 a year. Okay. Uh, that, that uh, so at this point, it might have been 105, I think, 107. And what year was that? I graduated law school in 92. So it that might was have been, very good money for that, for that, for that, for those Oh, days. no, that, it's, it's like, good money today. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't right, seem right. like, unfor- you know, one of my observations is salaries have not increased. When I graduated college in 87, a good, a, a really good paying job was 36 to $40,000. Like that was like, that was, right. and, and today it seems like a lot of college graduates, unless you're coming from Harvard, Yale or the like, I mean, that's, that's kind of the starting salary. And I, I think right. that's. Uh, there's, we can talk about that for a while, but um. well, you you were you were searching. I want to get more into the the fact that you were searching for a job. You didn't know what you wanted to do. You definitely weren't looking to start a business at that point. So, what kind of how did Scotty Vest come about? I mean, you well, the, uh, Scotty Vest came about. Uh, I was um, working. Finally, I got out and worked in a startup called Next Fifty, and I was commuting from Chicago to Princeton, New Jersey, as their lawyer. And and I recognized quickly I did not enjoy you know that job either. But one of the things I discovered is in traveling with all the devices that people were carrying around, there's no easy way to do so short of a backpack. And on one, the, the aha moment was while I was miserable at work on one hike, I turned to my wife. And I started handing her a bunch of things to carry for for me on this hike. And she said, I, you know, I'm not your personal Sherpa. You're looking for a business idea. Why don't you come up with a, a better way to carry your gadgets? And I was like, mm. aha. And so it's your wife's idea. <laughs> yes. And, and well, she's she's the president of the company. She owns 50 percent. It's a, all uh, all of my success in part is due to her and her support. It's been an amazing um, partnership. 
So can you explain, uh, I guess, in more detail to our listeners who, who don't know what ScotiVest is, what exactly is it? Uh, uh, ScotiVest is a company with 50 different items for men and women. It's paradigm-shifting clothing, clothing that enables you to carry all your stuff without looking like a dork. I mean, it it started out as like a glorified fishing vest or a photographer's vest. But instead of putting all the pockets on the exterior, advertising to the world that you're a dork, you know, we we designed the pockets in a very unique way and really engineer the pockets so that, you know, it balances the weight. We take into account the the things you're likely to put in them. And then we came up with this idea of patenting an internal wiring system for your headphones and battery cords under the branding. Technology-enabled clothing. So how many pockets traditionally does a Scotty Vest have? So a Scotty Vest is the name of the company. So and, and we have 50 different items. So we have pants with 12 hidden pockets that look like normal pants. We have underwear with two hidden two pockets. We have base Hold buttons. on a second. Did you just say underwear? Yeah, boxers. I, Why the hell would you need pockets on your underwear? The very first thing I do <laughs> when I wake up in the morning, I grab my iPhone, I start making coffee, and uh, oh, very good. And, and I'm looking for a place to put my iPhone. And I, I had on many occasions like expanded my chest and put it in the waistband so or my belly so it wouldn't fall down. And, and, and sure enough, it <laughs> fell down. I said, well, let's put a pocket there. So. I just had a very disturbing vision. Uh, it, it was, <laughs> I painted a picture there, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, we do have vests, of course, but we also have jackets with removable sleeves. And we sell to the uh, – we were the first clothing company to start on the Internet that is still in existence today. So 85 to 90% of our business is direct to consumer, which is wow. – you know, there were other companies like Land's End and The Gap who used the Internet as an additional distribution channel. But for us, it, it, it was – then and and remains to this day our primary distribution channel. So you're not in any retail stores. We are in some. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Travelsmith sells our stuff. A bunch of uh, travel stores throughout the country, photography stores mm. and the like. But our and we do sell to actually the Secret Service and Special Ops who utilize our stuff to carry a variety of James Bond like things. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And and yeah. it, and the Israeli Defense Forces has, has purchased from us on occasion right. as well. Yeah. Uh, is, but, you know, for the most part, you know, we, we are embracing, you know, our, our relationship direct to consumer. Mm. Now, one of your major claims to fame is that you were on Shark Tank and you actually told each shark one by one that they were out. <laughs> but I actually, I actually just told three that they were out. Okay, uh, but, okay. Uh, three of them. Yeah. You sit down, you're out. <laughs> I mean, I loved it. I watched that clip and I was like laughing my head off. I can't believe he just told them that they're out. I mean, can you take us back? there and explain what was going on. Why did you do that? Well, I mean, there's a, it's a long story. I'll give you the abbreviated version. I actually wrote a book yeah. about it. It's called Shark Bites and, and my own autobiography called Pocket Man. But uh, basically, I wanted to go on Shark Tank primarily for publicity for Scotty Vest. I didn't make- Oh, no. That's exactly why they ask people when they're on there. Like, oh, did you come on here to publicize or did you actually come in for an investment? And you were one of those that actually went on there just to publicize. Well, it, it, it's, a, it's a longer story than that because, uh, okay. you know, I, I, I actually – you'd be foolish. Everyone who is there is there to publicize. That, it's the only reason you go on Shark Tank. There's a, there are easier ways to raise money. So you go on Shark Tank for the... Hold hold on, let me stop stop you there. Why? If you can get a Mark Cuban as your partner, I mean, and with his connections, that's that's worth 
more than money, no? Uh, yeah, so you go on, you go on first and foremost, primarily for the publicity, secondarily okay. for the investment, third, for whatever connections they might have. But the odds of getting on are so remote. They're, they're, it's so difficult. And if you are not thinking of this as a, a, first and foremost, a play to, to get publicity and get your name out there, you're foolish. And because the likelihood of getting on is is infinitesimal. We did the odds. I mean, so how did you do it? How did you get on? I, I sent an email, but 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 it's more important. Let me finish this off because once you get on, it, there's a 50-50 chance that you're even going to air. And then if you air, whether a deal is done or not, and if a deal is done, or, uh, you know, which is like one third of the people are on, a deal is done, and then half of those deals fall apart. So what do you get? You get the publicity. So you have to. You have to be thinking about this as, first and foremost, a publicity play. So I got on by sending an email. I just sent an email. I heard they were in casting. I sent us an email that I, I, I spent a lot of time drafting. And, and within moments after sending, I got a call. And they said, we like your story. And we went through a series of interviews, extensive interviews. And finally, after a while, they sent me a contract. And uh, lo and behold, in the contract, they said that the producers get 5% of any business that, uh, exactly. Oh, hey. So I, I'm thinking, I do not want to give 5% for wow. nothing just for the privilege of, of being on TV, regardless of whether a deal is done or not and and whether it's a good edit or not. So I pivoted and, and presented a different company, which was wholly no owned, way. Oh, which man. was Technology Enabled Clothing, which owns the patent rights to Scotty Vest products. And <laughs> And so when I was in there, if you happen to watch my episode, you know, there's a lot of discussions about my quote unquote retail company. If I had mentioned the name Scotty Vest, it would have cost me over a million dollars just merely mentioning it. Whoa, a million dollars. So when they started making the offers they did, they made offers for Scotty Vest and the company that I was presenting, which was technology-enabled clothing. And I was, by contract, not allowed to accept an offer for Scotty Vest. I couldn't. And they kept baiting me, pun intended. Like, we really want yeah. that retail company. And I couldn't do it. So instead of just saying no, I said, you're out and you're out and walked off the stage, <laughs> you know. So, um, nice. So it's, it's season three, episode seven. Um, you should be able to find it somewhere on I'm gonna, YouTube. I'm going to link it. I'm going to link it up in the show notes. Okay. Also, just out of interest, I, I know that if I was listening to this episode, could you send, do you still have a copy of that email that you originally sent them? Uh, yeah, yeah. Would you would you be willing to share oh, that? Of course, it's, it's in the book, yeah, and, and it's on, I think it's on my page, uh, scottyvest.com forward slash uh, Shark Tank. Okay, great. So I'm going to link that up as well. Now you've you've got a really impressive advisory board, which includes Steve Wozniak, co-founder of Apple, Kenneth Klopp, Robert Scoble, Peter Shankman, and Carter Weiss. I mean, how did you manage to attract such influences? That that's a great question. You know, uh, first and foremost, they're all friends of mine including Steve Wozniak. Secondly, they don't have much influence in my business or advise much. So they're like so many other businesses with an advisory board. They're intended to be primarily eye candy, if you will. So in Steve's case, he wrote an email to me 
uh, or he made a purchase on our website years ago. <laughs> and I wrote back, I'm a huge fan, and he wrote back immediately saying, uh, it's an excellent accessory for an iPod. This was in the iPod days. I said, can I use right. that on my website? He said, sure. And, wow. and as a result of that email exchange, he, you know, um, we became friends. I sent him more products and we shot a series of what we call Wazisodes, <laughs> you know, together. And I, I, I said, would you mind if I use you on my advisory board? He said, it'd be an honor. So, wow. uh, you know, um, with respect to Robert Scoble, I, you know, he just became a friend of mine and, you know, he, I provide him with clothing and, you know, and, and he loans me his name and writes about me. He's probably one of my, my very best friends. Same with Peter Shankman. These people have just wow. followed me and my antics on social media and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And uh, we truly have become close friends. Hap Klopp is a, he's the founder of the North Face. That's a, a slightly different one. It, that was uh, right. probably the first member of my advisory board and he does do he does provide actual help to me and my business from time to time and i met him at a a trade show and he comes up and asks a series of questions as though he's a buyer for someone and i didn't recognize the name half clop and and then i asked him you know what what he does or what what his background is and he smiled and he says i founded a little company called the north face wow (laughs) and i I just i just built the relationship i I, you know I, i i really recognized that this was a person that did great things and could help me if I help them. And, and one of the things I found fascinating with all of these relationships is that they, my enthusiasm for life and my passion for business is infectious. So even despite how successful each and every one of these people are, they sense that and they want to be around me. And I want to, and I have found that when I find, you know, another entrepreneur that it, it has the same level of excitement, I want to be around them, even though I can help them and don't want anything in return other than to, to be around their energy. So right. don't underestimate that. You've got a passion for freedom and you talk about being free when you took your first steps and you had your first kiss, but you also mentioned in the video, you said that you were free when your dad died. What did you mean by that? Uh, I think a lot of fathers and sons have a difficult relationship. Mine was no different. And my father and I had a very difficult relationship and uh, he wrote me out of his will. He, you know, he was, too, you know, it was really difficult. And, you know, I always wanted him to be proud of me and, and I always wanted to please him. And the more I tried, the, the less, you know, he, 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 you know, he liked it. And it, it just, it was just horribly difficult. And I found that while he was living, it was a constant goal for me to get my father to love, respect, like, care about me. And when he died, I realized that that was it. I, you know, I, I, that burden was lifted. I did not have to, you know, and I went through a long period where I resented him. I hated him. And then I, and then I forgave him. I'm like, okay, he did the best he could do. You know, it's a shame because I wasted a tremendous amount of energy, you know, uh, throughout my life worrying about whether my father loved me. That's not something a child should, should worry about. Do you think if your father was still alive today, you'd still be burdened with that? Yes, yeah, it, it would. It, it, you, know, he, you know, he was in competition with me. Why couldn't you forgive him when he was alive? I, oh, I had on many occasions, but he could not accept the fact that his son was more successful than him in many ways. And I, wow. and my father was an insecure man. And he wrote to me in, in writing, he, in writing, in a letter, I resent you for all the opportunities that I have provided to you that my dad did not provide to me. 
Wow. Like, I mean, just take that in for a second. I mean, isn't that what fathers are supposed to do? You know, yeah. you know, he thought my life was too easy, so it was up to him to make it hard. I, you know, that's not the way it's supposed to work, you know. Right. Do you think that he got that from his father, perhaps? Maybe it was... Probably, you know, and uh, but that doesn't make it right. And, 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 right. and back to the original discussion about having children, I mean, I, I got to admit that, you know, maybe I would have passed that on to my son or daughter, and that would not have been cool. So I, I wasn't really sure that I'd be a great father. So Right. right. I mean, my father's father was a Holocaust survivor, um, and my father, my father's mother died when he was 13. She drowned. So I grew up also with, with that kind of, you know, emotionless, you know, but, but at the same time, like, and he's still alive today. But I've come to accept that, you know, he grew up in a, in a very different generation and he grew up with his baggage. So I've come I to mean, accept that as well. I, I, have, yeah. I have I have found a way to compartmentalize it and understand it. You know, he wasn't an evil man. It's just that was his lens that he looked through. And and, you know, he probably in his heart believed that making things harder for me would make me successful. And right. he would, you know, if he were here, he would argue probably fairly successfully that. But for the values he instilled in me of hard work and whatnot and, and, and lack of entitlement, I would not have achieved everything I have. And I, I would hope that perhaps if I had the support, I might have achieved more and happiness, not just dollars. My, everything in my father's mind was dollars, I, you know, right. how much are you worth and, you know, whatnot. And that's there's so much more to life than that. Right. I mean, your, your mother died when you left college. And I believe, I mean, many people would turn to drugs or other addictions to cope with the pain. What did you turn to? Success. When my mom died, I was in law school. It was my very first semester at, at, at law school. And I just decided at that moment I was going to do the best I possibly could at law school. And that's when I did so well. I came home for a semester to be with her. She died of ALS. And I think wow. that, you know, and that uh, part of that caused my father, the tension with my father, because, you know, I did so well in school. He didn't. And, you know, it, it just was complicated. And, you know, I came to be with my mom while he was gallivanting, you know, in Florida, you know, and this, that and the other thing. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, and I just I just decided that at that, at that moment, life was more important than, than, than just doing the minimal amount possible to get by I mean, when I started undergrad, I, I set a goal for myself. I wanted to graduate with a 3.0 grade point average. I wanted a B, and, and I wanted exactly that. And I graduated after four years, a 3.09. I got an A in a class that was I was supposed to get a, a B in or something, and, and it screwed up everything. And you can imagine how much effort it took. To you know, to manipulate your grade to to to, to, to graduate at three and so right, amazing. And and talking about success, I mean, you've managed to build a fifty million dollar empire from scratch. What would you say has been the main factors to your success? You know, I, I think with any entrepreneur, it's got to be perseverance. You've got to, you know, I've heard others say that, and, and I, I agree first and foremost. I mean, this is 16 years in, and I've been working as hard as I did on day one. So perseverance, I think not thinking of an exit. I, a lot of people say when you start a business, always think about what the exit is. I, I've never thought about that. I always thought the long game and to build a business that, you know, uh, was happiness that, that you know, uh, 
as well. So, and if you want to call that a lifestyle business, that's a dirty word for some people. <laughs> I, I don't think so. But I think the key, if I were to identify one key to my success was, and is, remains following up. F you, everything I do. I, if I start something, I flag it and I follow up. So many people nowadays in the emails and whatnot, they have a conversation, they have a thought, they write it down, they don't write it down, they send an email, they don't, but it never comes to conclusion. And in my case, I, I've developed systems and I've encouraged all my employees to you know, bring in this concept of following up on anything you do to a, a natural completion. Wow. There's a line in your book that I absolutely love, and I quote, people will promote things when they participate in them. I create opportunities for that to happen. Can you, can you elaborate on that and give some examples of how you've created those opportunities? Well, I mean, most recently, I, I have a contest called the Bring It Contest, and uh, you know, where you know, I've utilized some of the uh, all of the influencers you mentioned before, Steve Wozniak and Peter Shankman and others, to show what's in their Scotty vest. And I create this clever animated uh, thing where it goes into X-ray, and then and then we give away. At, with, in conjunction with Go Go In Flight, our partner, everything that's in their Scotty vest, and then they will promote them. You know, Peter Shankman, you know, will go on his social media and say, hey, look at this. It's me in a Scotty vest, you know, you know, giving away a bunch of stuff. So there's a number of if you get people involved and engaged in you as a person and your company, you'll find that people really want to help you. Right. What would you say to someone listening to this that has, let's say, uh, you know, a business that's not as, as the word is sexy, but yeah, how do you get? I don't know. How do you get people excited about products that aren't cool and new? And, you know, you, you've got a very cool product. You know, I would suggest that they, they you know, they, they do it through their enthusiasm for whatever it is that they're doing. Do whatever they're doing, do it better than someone else. You know, and it doesn't need to be another thing I failed at. And I would advise people is don't try to find something to start that no one else has ever done that is protectable in, to such a degree that costs a lot of money in patents. I think a lot of entrepreneurs fail because they're constantly looking for that perfect idea. It's not the perfect idea. The idea is meaningless. It's the execution of the idea that, that matters. So I, I would in, encourage them to, to do something that they love doing. You know, uh, you know, if it's yoga, they like yoga, then do something related to yoga. If, it, if it's racing cars, then do something related to uh, racing cars and, and, and you know, or uh, or something that they're really good at, collecting stamps, whatever it is. Start with something you enjoy doing and then build from there. And then people will you know, know that you are excited about it and then they will get excited. I mean, the reason why Half Cloth you know, likes me and wants to be around me and others do, it's not because they love the product, but they, they love my enthusiasm for life and, and the business. And, and it, it, it's, it's apparent the moment you meet me. And it's apparent when I meet other people that are excited. And when I met you moments before this interview, you said you just love doing these podcasts. This is, and I got excited about doing it rather than, oh no, just right. another podcast with someone, <laughs> someone's clicking, the, you know, checking the boxes of asking the four questions. So yeah. it's apparent. 
Right. How do you get out there though? In terms of, I, you're an excitable person and you've got a lot of energy. But how do you how do you get people to see that? You know, I I utilize the media. I mean, I, you know, I, I I've made great relationships with the media over time, and and I pitch my story, and I I, I utilize social media to do it, and video, and uh, you know, I, a lot. I tell the story in a, a way that is compelling and easy for others to 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 convey. You know, I, I, that's the secret to my success when I first started was, you know, I spent 40% of my time pitching stories to the media. 40%. And for a new startup as the one of two people in a company, the CEO, I'm spending, in addition to, you know, developing the product and all building a website and all these things, you know, 40% of any day's effort dealt with getting the word out because it was that important. And at that time, getting the word out meant, you know, you know, reaching out individually to, to reporters who were covering, you know, anything similar to what I was doing. Right. And how did you find them on Twitter? Was it Twitter mainly? I don't think Twitter existed, you know, uh, oh, wow. you know, 16 years ago. Right. So I, it was um, it was a variety of blogs, assuming they were even called blogs at that time. Mm-hmm. There was one guy in particular, Pocket PC Passion, uh, a guy by the name of Dale Coffing, who had an amazing following. And uh, he remains a friend of mine to this day. And uh, uh, Time Magazine wrote about us. And, you know, that was me going to New York, literally pounding the pavement, you know, walking from one media outlet to the other saying, I'm Scott Jordan, you know, I want to show you. <laughs> I, 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 and the enthusiasm wow. that I brought every receptionist, like, I, you know, I, you can't just walk in. I said, what? Let me show you. And they're like, hold on, let me see. That's pretty cool. You know, let me see. And whether the product was cool or my infectious energy in delivering the product, I was drinking my own Kool-Aid. You have to know. Right that no one's going to be more excited about your product and your than you. And they are going to know if, if you are not. Scott, do you ever wake up and just feel like you don't want to do anything? No. <laughs> I'm just I'm just like a, a, an ever ready bunny. I just wake up and I just start working. I, you know, no, I, I love what I do. My biggest problem is I, I want to do too much and I put stress on my on my team and uh, because there are too many ideas in my head and trying to and they don't know how to say no to me. They don't know how to prioritize. And I think the hardest thing for me in growing my business is understanding people and managing people, which I, I did right. not understand at all the importance of, of growing a team. I just thought you pay someone well, you tell them what to do and, and they do it. That could not be further from the truth. Right, you kind of expect everybody to have the same enthusiasm that you have. Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah it, 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 absolutely. And and, well, and the fact right. is, is they do. But you know where they have that enthusiasm for their children, their wife, their their, right. their charity, their church. Their, you know, and and those are all wonderful choices for them to make. Uh, and we come full circle again to the children. You know, if you have that level of enthusiasm for your children, you know, which is fantastic, and you should have. Uh, otherwise, you you turn into a father like what I had. Then mm-hmm. you you cannot necessarily, in my opinion, have the same degree of of passion and enthusiasm and time and and we talked about time and freedom you can't have the time to dedicate to a, a business to the same degree otherwise i know that it's a controversial statement but right. you know it's right. true well you know what well you know what else is controversial i mean well it's not so much controversial but it was a huge shock to me when i went onto your website 
I noticed that you share your personal email and cell phone number on your... I mean, what the hell? That's like, who, which CEO of such a large company puts their cell phone number and personal email on their website for the... Well, yeah. you know, I, you know I, I'm going to say, first thing, I'm very accessible anyway on Facebook and Twitter. And if someone wants to reach me, they have a way to do so. And I, and, and, and it's it's kind of the canary in the, in the coal mine because if someone is going to go to the, the level of reaching out to me, they have a real... They, they have a real problem that I need to know about, and I'm going to address it. You know, uh, fortunately, you know, Robert Scoble does this too. I mean, you can find Robert Scoble's email and stuff. I, you know, I do have someone scan those messages for me that that, that doesn't wake me up at, at 2 a.m. I have a Google Voice, and you know, so you know, and that email doesn't go directly to my inbox. But I have someone who I I really trust, and I do read all the the emails that come in, just not necessarily in real time, because a lot of them can be addressed by other people, and some people abuse it. But for the most part, you know, people are really respectful of my time. And right. What would you advise people listening to this who are struggling to grow their business? What would what would be your advice to them? You know, I, I guess look deep in, in your heart and, and look at your numbers and, and, and if your business isn't growing, then, then can you, it doesn't always have to grow. I mean, but can it provide a living for you, you know, at, at the rate that it is and, and, and be prepared to make changes. If, if you're struggling and something's not working, then, 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 you know, you have to look carefully as to what you're doing and be prepared to make changes. We, we do. We constantly right. do. And so, you know, but, but be passionate about your overall mission, you know, and, 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 and let, and don't let, if you're making a change and you're unhappy or, you know, don't let that show to other people necessarily unless they're, you know, people you need help from. And, you know, because people will sense that lack of confidence. It's, it's a very careful, fine balance. It's not easy. Right. Right. You wrote a book called Pocket Man. By the way, you know that because of you, I now have Rocket Man by Elton John literally looping around in my head. Rocket Man. Well, we, we, we did a parody on that. That um, uh, If you want, flip me an email, send you the link. It's, it's hilarious. Um, I'm going to put that link in the show notes. Uh, that sounds like fun. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the book was about my story to inspire other people. Um, and it's it, it was written not as a how-to book. It was an entertaining book. Right? First and foremost goal was that someone would read it and, and enjoy reading it. So it's lots of stories that I've told and more. So uh, it's on Amazon and it's an audio book. I, I actually think we have, uh, you know, put it uh, up on a free podcast as well. So, you know, people can listen to the book and not pay for it. Cool. It, 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 it gives, gives me great joy to help other people. So and by sharing my story, I can do that. I, I want to be able to do that. And the other book is Shark Bites. That tells people the journey through Shark Tank. Is that what it oh, was? Well, yeah, basically, you know, there's a chapter devoted to, to my Shark Tank experience in Pocket Man. Okay. And we took that chapter and put it, reprinted it almost as is in Shark Bites. But then we asked a series of other entrepreneurs that appeared in Shark Tank uh, the same five questions and had them answer them. And so that if you want to know, you know, what it's really like to, you know, be on Shark Tank and what it's like after the good, the bad, and the ugly, it's not like a tell-all, you know, bad book. But you know, it, you know, it's, I encourage people to read that before going on okay. the show. So I'm going to link. I'm going to link to that as well in the show notes. We'll get all these links and put them in there. I, I'm not sure I need to say this, but Scott, what's the best way my listeners can get in touch with you? <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> you know, if they go to my Facebook page, you know, look for Scott Jordan. I'll find the the link, while, you know, the URL while we're talking. Yeah. Or Twitter, Scotty Best CEO, or Snapchat, Pocket.Man, or Instagram, Pocket.Man. I'm pretty easy to find. And uh, if they want to send me an email, they can, if they want me to see it directly in my inbox, CEO at ScottEvest.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-E-V-E-S-T.com. That's, you know, that goes right into my inbox. I'll read it. I'll respond. Wow. And the, the, uh, the Facebook URL is, uh, you know, Facebook.com S-E-V Scott Jordan. And it's got the blue check mark. It's the only Scott Jordan with a blue check mark. If you want to just search Scott Jordan, amazing. I'm going to put all those in the in the show notes, Scott. Scott, you are a huge inspiration. It's really been great getting to know you better. Thanks so much for letting me pick your brain. Thank you to all my fellow listeners for tuning in. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to DanielGeffen.com.